Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel. Today, I'm joined on the show by Benjamin Law. Now, the Final Draft Podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. And now, at Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to the classics that you know and love. And these conversations are about looking at the issues that drive the author's storytelling. It's a way to help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To us, you broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made with, the, uh, with Australia's First Nations. As I mentioned, I am joined on the show today by Ben Law. Ben is a guest curator at Sydney Writers' Festival, so what better opportunity to sit down with Ben, he's, he is such a prolific writer. He writes for the screen. He does adaptation. He writes for the stage. He writes books. He writes commentary. He was on Survivor. Ben is amazing to chat to and amazing to get insights into what it means to be part of a writing culture. What our writing culture has to say about us today is a really fun conversation to share. I cannot wait for you to hear it. I'm just going to make a note at the top that uh, as we spoke, Ben Ben and I had some interesting audio uh, interruptions in the background. And as we comment in the conversation, I wanted to leave it in. I'm going to show you how the sausage is made, so to speak. So um, join us, hear a little bit of banter, hear a little bit of literary chat as Benjamin Law joins me on Final Draft. Ben, look, as I welcome you, I hardly know how to introduce you anymore. Prolific is probably a good start. You're a writer, producer, broadcaster. Many people will know you from your book, The Family Law, or its incredible series adaptation. You've written for so many publications in this country, it would probably be quicker to list the ones you haven't. And you were also <laughs> recently on Survivor. We're getting yeah. into yeah, we're getting into no need needs no introduction territory. But welcome, always, always thank, welcome. Thank here. you, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pretty random career so far, but that's because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Um, but yeah, so to be here, it is, and it is always great to have you here. Uh, look, I, let's start with an icebreaker. And this is I'm well out of my territory here, but I, I'm really curious. This Survivor thing, what did you miss most in the Survivor jungle, and why was it books? Oh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I did another kind of TV show. It wasn't quite reality TV. It was kind of like more docu-factual. It was about um, the homelessness epidemic in Australia. It was called Filthy Rich and Homeless and uh, Ordinary People Experienced Homelessness Um uh, and we worked with the homelessness sector um, and it was basically we were a Trojan horse in getting to understand homelessness better and to access real stories of homelessness. But I bring that up because um, there was one day where I actually had sourced food. I'd eaten out of a bin. I'd, you know, experienced a lot of things that people who are genuinely doing it tough have experienced. And I realized all I want is a book. And as soon as I found one, I just sat down and I just did nothing for the rest of the day, but just read read the entire book. And the producer's like, we're taking that book off you because you're actually very boring for the show right now. Uh, so if I had a book on Survivor, that'd be great. But to be honest, um, you have so much company out there. You are not uh, short of entertainment with all the conversations you're happening. I mean, it's a really boring answer, but the thing that you miss most out when you're doing Survivor is 
food. The starvation is is real, people. Um, there's a reason I lost close to, you know, I think it was close to 15% of my starting weight uh, in 22 days. It's pretty intense. That is, wow. Okay. But but still, books, books, very important, and and that's that's really fascinating. The um the other situation you found yourself in, and I mean, I I, re- I remember the CEO sleep out type of thing that went on. This sounds like it was a little bit more real and a little bit more compassionate. Um, yeah, and engaging with like the the people who have actually been in the sector for a long time, learning about the data, learning about the actual government policies that actually create homelessness actually in in so many ways yeah and this is a situation that australia is sort of facing down because it's it's not getting better it's getting worse and yeah i yeah well thank you thank you for sharing that my yeah not a problem is is this this makes my my follow-up question seem really trite but i'm just going to throw it to you anyway um, I missed I, I missed both of those shows. Couldn't watch Survivor. Uh, sorry, TV Trouble. I don't know. Were you a hero or a villain? Uh, I'll say that even though I was ostensibly a hero and starting off on that tribe of Survivor, um, I rejected the premise because I'm a writer and that's all about ensuring that readers and audiences know that humans contain multitudes. And I definitely did on that show. <laughs> oh, gosh, gosh. And everyone knows like heroes, heroes are really boring without a good villain. Oh yeah. 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 And look at one stage in the TV show, people who know, who watch the show know this. Um, I was happy to throw people under the bus when I knew that my time was coming up. So I'm just like, I'll do whatever it takes to make it through to another day and um yeah looking back at the show it's quite funny because we don't see the footage until it actually airs on tv it's like wow i should have could have would have been eliminated so so much earlier if it wasn't for a lot of luck uh a little bit of scrappiness and finding some stuff that really helped me in the game but anyway that's survivor that's survivor yeah look and and i mean there's a whole nother conversation i want to have with you about how reality tv gets narrativized but that Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. not today because i've invited you on you've uh you've guest curated a section of sydney writers festival which is going on at the moment i want you to i want you to take me back to um to the to that moment that time that call Anne's giving you a call asking you to put together events for one of the biggest literary festivals in not just the country, but the world. What's on your mind? What conversations are you wanting to highlight in 2023? Well, the conversations in 2023 are urgent. You know, the the theme of this year's festival is really about how the past affects the future and, and what the future actually looks like. And when you think about the climate emergency, when you think about the economic crisis that we're not alone in facing, think about cost of living pressures, like the the future is tense, you know, and um, I really wanted to highlight conversations that shone a spotlight on them so that we could have conversations that often make us feel alone when we have them with ourselves but when you have them with a big crowd of people with smart authors who've been pondering things about history the climate crisis about economics about first nations reconciliation that you feel like you're in a community of like-minded people who are being guided into the future with a bit more reassurance and i think so many of the authors who are programmed in this year's festival whether it was guest programmed um, by myself or programmed by the curator the artistic director Anne mossop um really fit that bill i think um the future perhaps a generation ago was all like 
flying cars and what these devices in our pockets are going to be like. I think the future now we understand quite palpably having experienced, you know, the climate crisis full on having experienced a pandemic in our lifetime. Um, the future is, is scary unless we actually take action and urgent action to do it. So across fiction, across nonfiction, I think a lot of the authors are talking to those anxieties. I want to pick up um, on one word you said there, ponder. Um, in a world where it feels like everyone has to clap back, even almost before the person in front of them has finished speaking, what is the power of pondering? <laughs> it's a really good question. I mean, I've I've lived on Twitter for such a long time. I I don't anymore because um, it's kind of you look great to someone who the... lives on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, look, under the stewardship of Elon Musk, Twitter has become even more problematic and and absolutely chaotic than it, than it even used to be, and it already was an ungovernable and chaotic place. But you know, when I lived on that hell site in my natural digital uh, habitat. Yeah, you are right. Like people uh, are encouraged to react quickly and to react with the least about amount of nuance possible. You know, no software is neutral. And what Twitter is designed for is for a live reaction with the greatest amount of efficiency. And I think there's a place for that. You know, I really enjoyed a social media platform like that when it worked, when you're like, oh, that is a reaction I would never have considered. And I'm so glad I got that from this person that I, who I would have never encountered if it weren't for that platform. But I think, you know, on reflection for the most part, it, it does injure the capacity to have a decent conversation. It, it doesn't really allow a kind of more humane clocking of who's in front of you. You know, there's always a reason why, uh, confrontations in person or over the phone are far more difficult than over text. Like, you know, back away from texting, back away from email because, you know, doing stuff just by text alone can be really, really difficult. And I think something like the Sydney Writers Festival, uh, it's about books. Books are by their very nature and form in-depth, complex looks, look, looking and examinations into, into topics that um, warrant more attention than, um, than tweets. Uh, and I think the other thing is when you're doing it in the company of other people who are there to listen with an open mind and curiosity, there's something, I don't know, this sounds a little bit wanky. Sorry. Just my, oh, thanks. Great timing. Dealers, are we going to leave this in the podcast? I think, I think Ben is being called to his flight. Oh, welcome to my building, everyone. Sorry about this, Andrew. That's okay. Um, this was so much of my life during lockdown recording uh, my podcast in this office. It was just like, uh, I don't think anyone is um, experimenting with fires in their kitchen right now. We are all depressed. No one's doing anything <laughs> dramatic. We do not need this many tests for the building. And we think that the alarms work. So should we just keep talking until the alarms just sound out? Yeah, um, let's just go. Yeah, power yeah, of, yeah. The power of ponding, pondering books as yeah. long-form thought. 
And I know this sounds a little bit wanky, but there's something uh, sacred about that. You know, I'm not a religious person, but I think there is something about going to church, going to the mosque, going to the temple and sitting there in communion to receive wisdom, right? We don't really have that many opportunities in a secular life. And I think it's actually a ritual that's really, really important. And whether we do that by, you know, going out to live performance, live gigs, whatever, like receiving nourishment, um, I think that's so, so uh, central in order for all of us to grow. And I think the Sydney Writers Festival is an example of of that done well. Mm, mm. Now, you write across a range of media. I think that's how people know you. There's a, a writer with range, with versatility. And the Sydney Writers Festival, I mean, in- increasingly is writers across forms, um, podcasts, I mean, over the last few years, podcasters are, are, are becoming more of a feature, whereas when the festival began, podcasts weren't even on the map. I wonder, though, across the styles, across the forms, across the media, is there one form that always calls you back? Huh. In terms of the stuff that I do personally, <coughs> um, it's kind of all of them. I'm a little bit of a whore in a whore-positive way. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm involved in those forms of writing because I feel invested in them as an audience and a reader as well. I, I don't, um, I haven't attempted like fiction because I feel like that's a little bit beyond my wheelhouse, but you know, I, I've written plays because I've loved the theater for a long time. So, okay, here we go. Okay. Are you done? No, they're, they're not done. They're not done. This is live radio people. <laughs> and absolutely, absolutely, all this gets cut for 2SER 107.3. But honestly, I think some of this stuff is going to be kind of fun for people who listen in on the podcast. It's like, uh, this, this is how the sausage is made. This is how the sausage is made. And this is how my building works. It's really, really convenient. Um, look, in terms of all of those uh, things that call me back, I always just love speaking with people. Like anything that involves like chats, whether it's like, of course, a podcast, whether it's the back page of Good Weekend magazine every every Saturday that comes out with the City Morning Herald and The Age, where I do dicey topics. I get high-profile people, public figures to talk about private topics. I just love that. I like getting in and, um, I don't know, really needling to booze and interrogating why they even exist. Um, I love chatting with my co-host Beverly on Stop Everything because uh, – I just want to know like what she's into and speaking to someone smart about pop culture is kind of like my safe space, my happy, my happy place. You've mentioned stop everything. You've mentioned dicey topics, two of the incredible conversations that people can find you at, at the festival. But I want to think, keep thinking across forms because one of the panels you're hosting is on the process of adaptation. That's famous, right. famous mm-hmm. for always pleasing lovers of the original novel. Sorry. That's okay. I'll start that conversation, that end question again in a sec. So annoying. I wish they would actually give us a heads up on tests. So living living in the mountains, my my equivalent, my parallel is um, parrots and all sorts of birds outside the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a much better alternative to what I'm to what I'm experiencing. Wait, wait. Okay, let's go again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to do the whole question again, just so it's the same. Yeah, I said it. sorry, Andrew. Thank you. 
You've mentioned Stop Everything. You've mentioned Dicey Topics, two of the conversations, two of the features people will find you at at the festival. But I want to keep thinking across forms because one of the panels you're hosting is on the process of adaptation, famous for always pleasing lovers of the original novel. What are you looking forward to there with conversations including people like uh, Eleanor Catton, who is just Mm. a a favourite on this show, one of my first conversations just before she won the booker. So I think that's going to be a gorgeous chat. Yeah, and we've got Eleanor Catton, we've got Holly Ringland and we've got Tom Robb-Smith and all of them have been involved in the adaptation process of um, their and or other people's original works. And as someone who's just come out of adapting a book for screen, which was Bridget Delaney's Wellmania for Netflix, which now stars uh, Celeste Barber, who's also an EP on the show. I know like there are absolute joys and just searingly tricky aspects of adaptation that are really worth discussing because if you read a book you love, there are some times where you put it down and you think, gosh, that would be great to see on screen. But then there's kind of that edge where it's like, oh, they could completely get it wrong. And then there are other times where you read a book and you think, I have no idea how they could possibly translate that on screen. And then someone does it and it's kind of brilliant or it might be a different beast altogether or they're able to do things on screen they weren't be, they weren't able to do on the book or there are things in the book that they just weren't able to do on screen and it's really disappointing. And I just love hearing other people's accounts of, what they could and couldn't do in the adaptation process. And it'll be a really good opportunity for Eleanor, Holly and Tom to compare notes as well, I think. (laughs) It is going to be, I think it's going to be a really great chat. Do you think, does adaptation also, especially for books that have, have been around or that maybe were of their time, does adaptation help us speak to the time we're in? Uh, I think so. I think it gives us an opportunity to kind of like refresh and, Um, ask what we really think about that with the lens that we've got now. I even think about this isn't pure adaptation in and of itself, but there have been so many kind of projects lately that take a seminal figure, especially of the nineties. And since black lives matter, since me too, we see the world necessarily differently. Now it's not to say that um, the, world was, um, you know, without sexual harassment and racism back then. It's just that we've actually got the language around these things now and the Mm. consciousness about it. Um, So even the adaptation, I mean, adaptation is, um, you know, translating one work to another or one work to another medium. But I also think like there's an opportunity to be like, actually, who was that figure and how do we regard them now? I think of people like, you know, the Tonya Harding story, the Lorena Bobbitt story, the Monica Lewinsky story. Like we understand those stories with different vocabulary and understanding now. I recently saw the um, remake of The Little Mermaid by Disney And that's gone from a Hans Christian Andersen tale to a Disney animation to a live action remake in 2023. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a perfect film or anything, but it's a really, really great popcorn blockbuster. And of course, in this version, Ariel's black Mm. and some people have lost their minds for better or for worse. Some people have, you know, been racist losers about it thinking, 
Ah, oh, mermaids, they uh, can't be black because uh, it was set in Denmark originally. And let's just go through uh, the racial kind of like history of Denmark. And it's like, hey, folks, they're, they're mermaids at the end of the day, mm. you know. Also, the new one is set in a different geography. Um, Weirdly, these people weren't, they didn't, I, 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 I'm not across all of these films necessarily, but these, uh-huh. these people didn't have the same problem with Avatar being blue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, these mm. are fantastical creatures in the first place. Uh, I think we can um, extend our imagination uh. Uh, further. But it's also important in, for so many, especially young black viewers, mm. that they have a, a Disney character, a Disney princess, uh, who still arguably has kind of like a retrograde quest, but um, that they have that representation that they didn't have for like generations and generations and generations of disproportionate white representation. So mm. I think, yeah, it does give that opportunity for us to kind of like refresh and re-examine. Sounds like it's still got the giving up your voice for a guy. Yeah, story it's still that yeah, core yeah. story. That yeah, old, yeah, that yeah. Old chestnut. Become um, mute for love. It is, it is always interesting when you talk there, I was thinking about the people who will like do backflips to work their racism into, I guess, what they would see as a cohesive narrative. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about like you know we we're at this at a time in this country so called Australia. It's both a time and a year where it feels like there's so much that's possible. We've got an upcoming referendum on the voice, but also so much at stake as as Stan Grant has reminded us with his horrific story of racial abuse. <clears throat> I didn't want to ask you to solve these problems necessarily. Um, few says Ben. I was hoping though you could reflect on. In in light of the festival, a world that, while it feels increasingly polarised, where truth has been both commodified and weaponised, what role does storytelling? And I'm thinking I'm thinking particularly here about fiction. Um, what role does storytelling and stories have in imagining a future beyond this current sort of state of division? Hmm, that's a really good question. It was interesting. I think of the opening night keynote addresses that were delivered by. Uh, myself, um, the Booker Prize winning author Bernadine Evaristo and the Miles and Stella winning author Alexis Wright, as well as the poet Madison Godfrey, who's a um, trans non-binary person and really, really talented. And, you know, Bernadine and Alexis write fiction primarily. They write nonfiction as well, but um, they're known for their fiction works. And I, I made a note in in my keynote how you know, if you went back to when the Sydney Writers Festival began in 1997, it would have been very unlikely that you would have had the likes of us on stage giving the opening night address. And that's not an indictment on the festival. I think that's more a commentary on Australian publishing. I think it's a commentary on who was regarded as being important enough to have a platform. I think it's just the story of this country in general. Um, but the way that's that people like Bernadine and and Alexis, especially through their fiction, has changed the conversation, not just around race. You know, when we're having conversations about race, we're having conversations about something much bigger, which is like, who are we in the first instance? What is history? What are the histories we've been told? And what are the histories that have been erased? And, you know, with a book like Girl, Woman, Other, um, Bernadine kind of cracks open um, and presents modern Britain in a way that you haven't seen it before, but that has been modern Britain for quite some time, mm. you know, um, women, queer women, uh, non-binary people um, who 
how just they're occupying the space. You know, I don't go around constantly um, super aware of, of my identity, but I also know that when I enter certain rooms, that that is the first thing that people clock about me, you know? And so um, I think fiction has like a really interesting opportunity and arguably responsibility to kind of um, through imagination uh, kind of remind us about all the, especially interior worlds that people occupy. One of the authors that I interviewed for the Sydney Writers Festival already is a debut author, Australian, who is based in New York. Her name's Tracy Lean, and she's written this fantastic book called All That's Left Unsaid, and it's about Cabramatta in the 1990s, and it's a murder mystery in the same vein of like a Leon Moriarty book. It's like one of those stay awake till 2 a.m. kind of thrillers. And Cabramatta in the 1990s is something that's really known in newspaper headlines, you know, for anyone who was around during that period, you know, for um, Vietnamese enclaves and heroin gangs. And those things are true, but there are other things that are true about that period as well. And it's through this fictional compelling portrayal of Cabramatta in the 1990s that Tracy's able to show us what else it was and all of the complications nuances and contradictions that period and that place held and i think that's really really cool yeah that's i like that expression they use they're holding space because if we're only if we're only ever thought of as the most prominent headline that was said about someone who looks like us well yeah what would that what would that mean for us Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and and it's something that that white cis heteronormative uh, heterosexual people don't have to deal with they are allowed to have their plurality they are allowed to be all of their expressions and say that person is someone else i am me and that's mm-hmm. not that's not uh that's not something that we afford everyone and that's that's probably uh yeah thanks yeah. ben i peed yeah. it out a little bit at the end there no not a problem um i loved having that conversation i'm going to give us a bit of an outro thank you so much okay. for your time I am speaking with Benjamin Law. We are discussing just all the incredible stuff that he does, but most particularly this weekend, he is a guest curator at Sydney Writers' Festival. Sydney Writers' Festival is happening across the weekend. It's been happening across the week. It is down at the Festival Precinct at Carriage Works, but also at locations across the city. Chances are wherever you are in uh, in the Sydney Basin, there's an event not too far from you. And if you want to find it, go to swf.org.au. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Andrew. That was a lot of fun. That is it for this incredible conversation that I had with Benjamin Law. Ben Law is a guest curator at Sydney Writers Festival. Amongst so many other writing projects that he does, it is always fantastic to sit down with Ben. So thank you very much again. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. You can stay in touch with Final Draft. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. The handle is at FinalDraft2SER. You can email us. Just email FinalDraft at 2SER. Look, I, I, I say this every week. I hope that you are enjoying the show. And if you are, subscribe in your podcast app. It means a new episode. You'll get it as soon as it drops every week. And I don't, I don't often ask this. I don't ask this often enough. If you are enjoying the show, give us a like, a star rating, however your podcast app lets you give feedback. Let us know. It has two benefits. 
I am going to find out if you are enjoying the show and other people are going to be able to discover the show. Those likes, those views, those comments, they help kind of push us up a little bit, help other people discover the same stuff that you're loving. My name is Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back next week with more incredible book talk. Thank you for joining me here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.